think about the way the world is and the way that the world could be. All of our systems are interrelated and interdependent. There's a thousand different voices that nobody hears. We're looking at a human being, and there's a life story. 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 Connection to the people we don't know that live near us. An Elevated Denver starts now. Welcome back to the Elevated Denver podcast. In this episode, we'll hear from Betsy, who shares her journey of feeling like she didn't belong from an early age, becoming unhoused, and then persevering through substance misuse. She eventually finds a path to stability, including sobriety and owning her own home. Now she's a peer navigator for the Denver Office of the Municipal Public Defender, supporting others who are on a similar journey. It's a story of courage and redemption, and it's brought to you by our episode sponsor, Peak Resources. Before we start, we want to let you know that we went through an informed consent process with everyone we interviewed. And before airing each of these episodes, we sent the recording to the interviewees to make sure that they were still comfortable with us sharing their story. And before we hear from Betsy, I want to acknowledge that parts of her story may be triggering for some listeners. If so, please take care. Welcome, everyone. Um, I'm Myra, and this is Leanne, and you're Betsy, and would you like to introduce yourself to us? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Myra. Uh, my name is Betsy Craft, and I currently work as a peer navigator with the Office of Municipal Public Defender, and I'm really excited to be here today and share a little bit about my story. You could tell me a little bit about yourself, if you like, um, where you grew up, um, what that was like. I grew up in rural Michigan, and I came from a, a family of five. I have two sisters, and my childhood was, you know, we, we grew up in rural Michigan. I lived on a lake. I had a lot of extended family, a big support system. And then when I was 12 years old, our family moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado, and that was a big change, kind of separated us from our extended family. And then um, my parents ended up getting a divorce, and that was kind of a, you know, like a, a, I would say a a big, like, life-changing event, like when I was um, younger. So... When I was 16 years old, I I ran away from home and I ended up down in Phoenix, Arizona. And I feel like that's, you know, when a lot of my substance use started. I I was separated from my family. I didn't have any, a lot of coping skills. I, you know, I was just trying to figure out life and was in this new city again, didn't know anybody. I, um, I found... Um, drugs and the people that I, you know, that I met, like they were using drugs, you know, it took away the the pain, the feeling of uh, feeling alone and not having my family. So I felt like my family didn't want me, like I felt unloved. And I think that's a big, you know, that's important because, you know, I, I, I encourage people to really ask themselves, like, you know, why they use drugs. And um, for me, it was a coping skill and it was to, you know, numb my pain. My first experience with houselessness was when I was 16 when I moved down to Arizona. You know, I moved down there with a boyfriend and we kind of, you know, we both got jobs and I, 
I entered into school and, you know, we ended up breaking up and uh, I just kind of bounced around. And, and that's when I um, that's how I got involved with drugs was because like the people who were up who would let me come and stay with them were the people who were um, most of the time, you know, using drugs. And so I felt like I had to like do something to like contribute to have a place to stay. When I moved to Denver, it wasn't I didn't experience houselessness right away. It wasn't until like 2012. I would go from working a program of recovery, having a job, you know, hanging out with friends who are involved with pro-social activities and, you know, practicing yoga and eating healthy food to literally, you know, injecting drugs on the streets and and my my substance use didn't start like that but over the years it was very traumatic you know it was very traumatic to go from like a healthy safe recovery oriented lifestyle to to that i found myself on the streets i was you know trying to go to school school's always been a big part of my life my parents, you know, told us from a young age, you know, you got to go to college. And so I was always trying to go to college, but never really had like a stable place to live. I feel like that was a common theme, like all throughout my life. Um, and in 2012, I I was on the streets and my family came to visit me during the holidays. And I said, hey, I, I think if I if I don't go to treatment, I'm going to die. And... My stepmom, she um, helped me get into a treatment center. And at the time, the only treatment center that um, would take somebody who was, like, unhoused and didn't have any money or any job was Stout Street Foundation, which is a two-year therapeutic community. I've done nine different treatment programs. My family said, hey, either you do this or, you know, we can't have you in our lives anymore. I felt like if I didn't didn't go, then I really didn't have a future. I'm really grateful to know that my family, you know, was able to to be there for me over the years after many after decades of struggling with substance misuse. I think it's really taken a toll on my family. I'm able to change the narrative on like what recovery means, you know, and you know, but as the years have gone on, I think that it really just had to come from me. I had to really decide that I was worth saving. You know, my last experience with houselessness was in 2018, 2019. I had gone through, you know, several detoxes and sober living homes. I had, you know, that's when fentanyl hit the drug scene here in Denver was in 2018, 2019. And so I experienced a lot of overdoses and houselessness. And I um, was living on the streets of Denver. You know, I just remember people looking at me like, like I was like part of the sidewalk. I remember... Um, paramedics you know look at me like I wasn't worth saving I just really think if people can just 
really see that, you know, people who are struggling, they have lives and families and jobs and school and successes and, you know, challenges and setbacks just like anyone else. And and maybe that was like my worst day. Experiencing overdoses, like it can, it really changed my perspective about like just like humanity, you know, and being there for people who may be experiencing their worst day. Tell me a little bit about what's happening in your life now, making you feel like you want to share this this information with people. What's happening now? In 2020, I was working for a corporate cannabis company um, doing compliance work. And this is when the pandemic, you know, hit. And then it was also, you know, the summer of 2020 after the murder of George Floyd. And there was, you know, police brutality was very prevalent in our country. And I, I just, it had only been a year since I had been on the streets. And so to go down and, you know, to be protesting and seeing a lot of my friends down there and still struggling and unhoused and the conditions that they were in and I just knew that I wanted to I wanted to do something more you know I didn't want to be working this corporate job anymore that I I always felt like I had a double life like I could never really share like who I was or people at work didn't know that I had these challenges And so it was like about November of 2020, one of my biggest mentors is Lisa Ravo with the Harm Reduction Action Center, because the Harm Reduction Action Center was one of the only places that would open their doors for me while I was experiencing houselessness and treat me like a human being and provide education on how to keep myself safe and welcomed me and said they were happy I was there and just treated me like a human being. So from my days of, you know, being on the streets and being a participant of the Harm Reduction Action Center to then when I, you know, was in recovery and doing well, I would go back and volunteer and participate in like the neighborhood cleanups and the the drop-in center. I started working in direct service on the front lines during the pandemic, the first safe outdoor space. It was Honestly, I feel like that's when everything changed for me. We're the Municipal Public Defender's Office. We have about 30 attorneys and um, a client support team, which is what I'm a part of. Like, these are the most, like, hardworking, compassionate, you know, badass attorneys. And they're not afraid to, you know, fight for you and go to trial. They really care about representing people you know, who may not be able to afford an attorney themselves and provide quality legal representation to to people who may not be able to afford it. I recently graduated with my business degree in, in organizational leadership, and so it's something that I'm really passionate about is just, you know, collaborative leadership style and multidisciplinary teams and just quality teamwork. And I think that's something that we really have at the public defender's office. We all work together to provide the best outcomes for our clients. And me as a peer navigator, I use my lived experience 
to support our clients or what I call peers. Because after I, I worked on that safe outdoor space, I moved over to the tiny home villages and was working, you know, directly with people experiencing homelessness. And now I work still with people experiencing houselessness. However, it's more centered around, you know, their involvement in the criminal justice system. So I work with clients who are in the jails or in the community who have a public defender, who have an open municipal case and connect them to longer-term behavioral health-oriented resources. We'll be right back. This podcast is being brought to you by sponsors who believe in shedding more light on the issue of homelessness in our community. There's still room for season sponsors, and this space can be used to highlight the great work your organization is doing and your commitment to our community. That's good for you, and it's good for us, because your sponsorship will support this work and help us get it out to more people. If you want the details, email us at sponsorship at elevateddenver.co. Now, back to the show. My last day experiencing houselessness was August 18, 2019, and... That was after, you know, I had been experiencing housing instability since October of 2018. And that was because I, it was just a really, you know, I had relapsed and had lost my house and, you know, was trying to gain, gain traction by, you know, going into treatment and going into detox and, but it just, it just wasn't working. And so then I found myself on the streets of Denver again and again in the winter and the summer. And I just, I, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I really wanted something different. And so I checked myself into detox. You know, part of my story, which is kind of interesting and I like to share this, is because one of my really good friends also sells drugs. And, you know, he really helped me get off the streets and he helped pay for my first month of sober living because they didn't have any resources. They didn't have any scholarships. My message is that even people who knowingly use drugs are good people and we should be asking why. And so I, I know why this person, you know, does what they do because there's a limited amount of jobs and resources and opportunities when you have a criminal background. You know, I've had to advocate for myself and with every single job I've ever had because I have a criminal record and um, there's a lot of stigma that comes with that, you know, and then to now working in peer support and putting that front and center and facing that stigma every day is, you know, it's just part of it, but I'm really hopeful that we can change that stigma through peer support and people using their lived experience to help others. I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And I had actually applied for a housing voucher in 2017. A lot of the workforce was moving outside of Denver and could no longer afford the rent. And so they developed this program for entry-level workers to try to bring them back. And they were subsidizing the rent of these luxury high-rises that they kept building. And so it was a different voucher type. I got into the sober living house of September of 2019, 
and I found out that my name got called for the voucher in January of 2020. And I moved into my first apartment under that voucher in April of 2020. And I also got my dog back. Is there something that you would like to tell people about this experience so that they can better understand how it feels going through this process and to get to where you are right now? Well, I would tell people that, you know, to just never give up and that anything is possible. And I always like to tell people that I work with that, you know, they're not alone. I think it's about what we do after we make the decision that diverts us off the path that we were on. And for me, like I, I define recovery as any positive change. That really resonates with me because it's not about, you know, when people, you know, a lot of people, they want to quantify it in lengths of time. But for me, it's like been this spiritual growth journey. I've learned more from the times that I've diverted off my path than just when I've continued and that's all part of my story. And so to to not talk about those times or to not talk about the the struggle and um, the pain and the all of it is like denying my whole experience, you know, and to deny my story and like who I am, because it's it's all shaped me to be who I am today. And, um, you know, I recently became a homeowner this year, working as a peer navigator with the city. You know, I think there's a lot of great organizations doing amazing work. However, I think there's room for us to collaborate more. Some of the organizations that I, like, I, you know, that really helped me with like my own, you know, just personal growth and development was the Chinook Fund Giving Project. Just learning about like what a democratic grant-making model looks like and to be a community member and to be able to have this social justice education and the um, philanthropy and like you know to participate in race and class caucuses and learn about like you know wh white supremacy and like my own privilege and to be able to to really understand like what an anti-racist anti-oppressive lens looks like and a harm reduction lens and to be able to raise money with other community members in my cohort in which we then granted out to these grassroots organizations that are doing the boots on the ground work and I think we need to support those organizations more like Colorado Village Collaborative and another one that really helped me to be able to have a grant to buy a home because I did not do that on my own was Project ICU which is a new organization that helps women with homeownership grants and business grants. And so that really made it possible for me to become a homeowner. Can you tell me a little bit more about peer support and what that means? Peer support is about being vulnerable and sharing similar experiences around mental health, substance use, and any life challenge, really, whether it's incarceration or you know, like I said, houselessness, but it's really about inspiring hope and walking with people, modeling what is possible, and offering non-judgmental, non-coercive support. And peer support is always voluntary, 
and it's person-centered, recovery-oriented, but we allow people to identify and define what recovery means to them. So it's really just walking alongside people and asking them what their goals are and seeing how I can support them and using my lived experience and, I mean, really all of my experience. Yeah, it's really about self-education and connecting people to resources and letting them know that they're not alone. Before we end today, we want to say a little more about the role of peer support professionals like Betsy. Peer support is an evidence-based, non-clinical profession rooted in mutuality, empathy, combating stigma, and providing hope. It's a growing occupation with core competencies, defined principles and values, statewide certifications, and best practices. To learn more about peer support professionals, see our show notes for this episode. Betsy, we appreciate you sharing your story. And we also want to thank our episode sponsor, Peak Resources. Tune in next time for our interview with Juan, a licensed professional counselor and trauma specialist with the Caring for Denver Foundation, who will explain the link between trauma and homelessness. Substance misuse and trauma are highly, highly correlated, right? And there's a piece called co-occurring where both of them are happening at the same time. And we know that on the average, there are 22 million people in the U.S. that are struggling with substances. And there's a three quarters of those individuals have been using substances as a way to cope with, you know, the trauma, as a way to, you know, survive, you know, make sure that that trauma monster has been lightened a little bit and or, you know, volume has been decreased significantly so that we can kind of continue our day. The Elevated Denver Podcast is produced by Leanne Morrison, Myra Nagy, and Jana Flood. Editing, sound design, and music are composed and provided by Jesse Boynton. Recording and production provided by House of Pod. If you found this episode interesting and would like to learn more about our work, please visit us at elevateddenver.co. And don't forget to let others in the community know about this podcast. It's going to take all of us to build an elevated Denver.